Hello everyone and welcome back. Today we have a long overdue episode. Um, we had Stuart Pack in the previous series but we never actually recorded that episode so I was super super keen to record this one and we actually it's one of the few episodes where we've been right on time but the conversation with Stu is always fascinating, uh, together with being a friend and a person that I personally admire a lot for building an amazing community that is um, the Many Hats Club, together with being in uh, uh, their podcast as well. Uh, it's, it's just a lovely person and has built such a, an amazing community and keeps on competing unfairly, actually not, it's not anymore, with... Um, also in competition and that's the subject of today so today and next week we're gonna have all the focus on OSINT so I hope you enjoy and learn something in the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast enjoy welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast where we hear the stories of information security professionals this podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. So welcome back everybody to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host Francesco and today we have the absolute pleasure to have Stuart Peck or also known as Cyber Stu or also known as the Many Hat or the, or the face of the Many Hats Club. Also known as, I don't know man, you're known by many names, many faces. Your face is all over other people's faces. <laughs> yeah, 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 it happens a fair bit, right? <laughs> and you became a meme. You became the master of memes. Yes, yeah, that's uh, that's, uh, that's oh, actually now a soundboard apparently as well. I just uh, <laughs> someone's built a soundboard from all my podcasts and all my talks. So that yeah, is fantastic. I, I imagine that will end up in here somehow. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to put the link of all this stuff. It, it, it's so cool. Uh, it, it became you became a fatty template and the representative of uh, the cybersecurity industry and and a good community community driver. So do you want to give everybody who, who doesn't the rare people that doesn't know you who you are, what you do for living, what you do for pleasure, and you know the community that you sit yeah. behind. Of course, thanks, Francesco. Yeah, so. 
Hi, I'm Stu. As as Francesco said, I, I go by many names, many mainly ads. variants, many many variants of Stu. But yeah, uh, I I look after a community called Many Hats Club, which I founded like almost three years ago now, which is crazy, and a recent conference, Isolation Con, which we raised about. 10,300 for Medicine Sans Frontier, which is really good, or Doctors Without Borders, which is really awesome. And uh, in my day job, I am director of cyber strategy or cyber security strategy for um, Zero Day Lab, uh, where I look after our GRC team, I look after our instant response function, social engineering, training and education, uh, amongst many other things. So yeah, quite a quite a very many hats. Yeah, <laughs> okay. many hats. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where it came from because like, every day I'm doing something different. So yeah, that's kind of how that happened. Moreover, yeah, I'm quite active on Twitter and LinkedIn and do blogging and podcasting and a lot of podcasting, a lot of conference talks, a lot of virtual conferences recently. So like this this week alone, I've done I, the uh, Sunday very early in the morning. I did a talk uh, with my teammates from uh, the uh, the OSINT teammates I have for. Um, the Trace Labs uh, competitions that we won three times in a row, and technically four if you include our second place, because apparently that actually actually counts as a win. According Against to home, though. Against home. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, we're, we're not we're not allowed to we're not allowed to well not not we're allowed to do any of the next one, but I think we've been advised that it'd be good if we're judges for the next one. So. Um, Stop winning all the competition. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, to be honest, we don't know. Like last time, you know, I have to do a big shout out to um, the Shandy Man and the Three Half Pints because they they've come second like three times actually. So, so they're they're a really good team. But yeah, all all the teams that play that's really good because it's uh, OSINT for good. So I'm a bit of a social engineering geek and an OSINT geek really. Uh, Then are my two kind of things I I'm pretty well known for and and instant response as well. But I can't talk about actually any of that course for for many reasons ndas and ndas within ndas i'm sure but you know so that that's me i, I love i love infosec it's it's a passion as well as a job um so you know my hobbies include anything that's related to infosec <laughs> and playing games and films i think that's it so anything with a screen i'm pretty good with actually to be honest so that's yeah. great and, and for for people that are a little bit new because uh the, the channel is is starting just now. The the stream about social engineering, that we Joe Gray was one of our first hosts. Uh, you know the other one, and the greatest of the greatest, effectively of of this industry. But uh, for who doesn't know a little bit about social engineering, how it was born, and how did you actually fell into it, and what is it all about? Yeah. Okay. So how how I started. Um, so I've got an unusual background into infosec. My background is really, I, I did a degree in pottery and ceramics, which always makes people laugh because um, I have, how do you get into that? They're throwing pots into like, then like, you know, breaking into buildings and stuff like that. It's, it's a bit of a weird breaking one. Breaking pots, breaking buildings. Yeah, there's, a, there's a clear, there's a clear link there, right? Um, it's very, very clear and concise, very easy to get into. Uh, yeah, so I ended up doing, fell out of uni and then kind of, fell into recruitment like most people did uh, who did art or something like that so um, and I happened to stumble into the information security industry that way that was my chosen sort of vertical I was working within so I learned a lot about it I even went to some technical courses so I could at least understand um, the industry and some of the the core competencies at the time that people would be looking for or looking yeah, looking for in their new role and what companies might be looking for. So I, I got a good a broad understanding and the more I did it, the more I kind of took interest in it. And somehow as I was doing the recruitment side, I managed to, I got banned from LinkedIn twice because I managed you to, do? <laughs> uh, well, well, so I scraped, um, I managed to work out a way 
and I'm trying to work out how I did it, but I found a loophole in the invite process mm -hmm. and I managed to send an invite to pretty much everyone like in the industry in the UK. I managed <laughs> to get like in two days, managed to get like a thousand connections or something like that. You DDoS the industry. <laughs> well, yeah, something like that. It was because it, you had to like at the time, this is early LinkedIn. This is like the first you know, six months of LinkedIn being in the UK. I managed mm -hmm. to connect to like, I, I, had, I had like 6,000 connections at one point. And then LinkedIn had worked out that I'd abused their system somehow and, and banned me uh, for six months. Uh, and then all those connections I had made in that time had been removed as well. So mm -hmm. not only had I like lost all my connections, I couldn't do anything for six months. So I had to create a fake account, which I did, which is fine. And I still have that fake account by the way today. Uh, and it's doing quite nicely. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a great sort of it. Another um, one of the many faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The many heads. Another yeah. many heads. And it's not in my name. It's in a completely random name. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's... <laughs> I'm sure loads of people are connected to it. Anyway, Eagles. Point, challenge. Yeah, it's Fi finds two, fi finds two uh, secret LinkedIn account. <laughs> very hard. Very hard. It'd be very, very hard. It'd be a great OSINT CTF, actually. And if you did it, I'd give you a special prize, but it'd be very hard. And, and so, um, anyway, so I did that. And then, of course, part of other things we did as well was we managed to find scraping like uh, people's details who weren't on job boards and things like this. So we, so OSINT was the big, it wasn't called OSINT, we used to call it Boolean String Searching. And there was whole courses around it as well, like Google dorking CVs, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned that and I didn't think that was, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting. That got me into like looking at some other stuff as well. And then on top of that as well, the social engineering bit came out is that when we were going after new customers, uh, we would call up that customer and as another person to try and profile and map out the organization and, and call them as maybe a, another company talking about marketing something or some tech or whatever it may be to map out that organization to understand the core people in it. So when we would then actually three, three weeks later or two weeks later, we would call them up with a lot of intelligence, right? So it was a great way to kind of do the telephone social engineering. It wasn't really social engineering, but it was kind of was. Intelligence. Um, was intelligence it was, inte it was intelligence gathering, but, but, but also, you know, there was a bit of social engineering involved trying to get through to the right people, right? So it being a recruitment consultant at the time, you get blocked. And so you'd have to find ingenious ways of getting around people. And I came up with some amazing sort of ways of doing that. And so that's kind of how it started. And so after that, I then fell into the industry. I got headhunted to come and join one of the companies. And I started off as a sort of more commercial role, then very quickly moved into a technical kind of pre-sales role. And then I ended up doing like social engineering because I was quite good on the phone and was able mm -hmm. to, to kind of kind of get into those unusual situations on the phone. I managed to actually then do my first social engineering gig maybe in 2009 or something like that, maybe something like that. So I've been doing it for a little while. And yeah, ever since then, not really look back. Um, I've traversed from the telephone social engineering into obviously doing the phishing side and then mainly more recently in the last sort of four years or so doing the physical stuff which is like the hardest thing like when you first start it like it's I've always gotten into nightclubs and places like that and <laughs> I've never had any issues like I've gotten to the most I used to have a challenge every week when I was um, living in London to get into the most exclusive nightclub and we used to get like in every time like literally like guest list only and we just get in and it's just like all these tr crazy like stories and you want to you do you want to give a tips and, t and tricks how to how to social engineers advance <laughs> uh, well it was it was about like i think a lot of times we just just used to walk in and like they would just be like just walk up to the gate and walk in like you belong and just go yeah I'm, i've come here every week i've got my table my guys are on the table we're going in and quickly get a list look at the list and go yeah with those guys and that's it Get in that way. Confidence. So is, is, confidence. Is, confidence, is confidence the key to win in 90% of social engineering or is how, how much you, would you 
percentage uh, data gathering information and, and, and the analysis behind the information versus uh, I, yeah, you know, yeah. the physical and targeting. It's so I, I know what Joe would have said because I've spoke to Joe about this many times when he was on your podcast. It's be, better, better open source intelligence, better you know social engineering pretexting and outcomes, right? And it's the, probably what he said word for word, I'm sure. Um, I'm not going to disclose agree or disagree. I want to hear you, you honest opinion. <laughs> However, you know I, I believe that if you if you have done your research and your data gathering and you have actually researched your targets appropriately you're all going to have more confidence because you're going to know if someone asks you a question, it's going to be more believable because you studied, right? If you just walk in off the street, your chances of success are pretty much in the 10 to 20%, depending on how sophisticated an organization is. If you're in a, if you've done your research and you know the, the layout of the building, you know where you've got to go, um, you know the, the quirks to get in because you've done that research and you've maybe done some telephone social engineering beforehand to do some reconnaissance to, to speak to people about things then and also done the open source intelligence you are going to be very successful so yeah research and open source intelligence and other forms of, of like like phishing emails and things like this are always going to get you in and then when you actually turn up you're in a much more stronger position because you've managed to get yourself an appointment you've managed to do this whatever it may be i did one where i did i got a tour of the building right so i got a tour <laughs> of a building and that building was quite a well-known building and then i just broke away uh, from the tour and that was it that's all I had to do. Right? It was a big tour. Right? I just broke away and then just tailgated in and I was in the building. Right? That was it. Because they offered tours and they were public tours and they were, you've obviously got a business badge, but it doesn't matter. The business badge gave you quite a lot of access, it seems. So I was okay. So those kind of things are, you know, you've got to look at the different scenarios for each, each location you're going to target. And if you do the research, you will find that the right scenario that's most likely to succeed. Um, so yeah, research and, and all that kind of stuff, vitally important. I was reading, I was listening to actually one of the Darknet Diaries uh, episodes with Freaky Clown and a, a one quote struck me a lot that was ultimately it's not if, but it's when you're going to get social engineering because it's just a matter of time and a matter of how much hours you put into it. It's just a matter of, of when and, and being the least attractive target instead of the other neighbor. So how do you make your neighbor more attractive, for example? Or do, you, do you suggest a defense where you say, just you know, make yourself a little bit harder than, than your neighbor? So what will, be, or what will be your suggestion for effectively uh, so defensive? So there's two, fight, there's two sides to defensive uh, sort of strategy. There's the individuals that, that are going to be targeted. So you need to give them the tools and um, the ability to try and detect these things. So on, on that side, you want to be looking at making their digital footprint smaller. So mm -hmm. making themselves less of a target that way. So privacy settings, locking down, you know, good OPSEC, not talking about work things on public places. Uh, the other side as well as the physical side to that as well is when you're outside, don't talk about projects and work and give away intelligence. I actually managed to get a whole piece of intelligence. I think I talked about this on Monday night, I think it was. I managed to get a whole piece of intelligence on a company just from standing outside their building and listen, whilst doing my physical recon, I got project names. I was able to record that conversation as well. I got project names. I got information that I could then reference further. And it gave me a whole bunch of intelligence just from a 15 minute conversation, standing outside a public area, listening Amazing. to two people talk. Right. And so, maybe helps. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It all helps. Right. So, so you look like you belong there. You pretend to be on a phone call and then all you're doing is really just recording that whole kind of conversation. So 
um, you know, so it's not just about what you post online. It's about the physical stuff when you're out and about on the train. You never know who's watching, who's listening. You might be followed for a reason if you're a particularly interesting target. So you've got to think about those kind of layers, the per sec, you know, your kind of physical security, and then also your operational security, your online stuff as well. And then on the company side, it's about having the right kind of defenses and having the right reporting mechanisms and the openness to be able to report stuff. So if people click a phishing link or something like that, the measurement for phishing, I think, in my opinion, is actually wrong. It should be measuring two things. You should be not just measuring who clicks the report, uh, clicks the link, sorry. Um, you should be measuring the amount of people uh, and the uptick of people that report it because that shows the effectiveness of your training. That's, that's so your always... reaction, that's your incident response because everybody yeah. will click on the link. It's obvious. I clicked on the link on phishing and I said I reported it uh, absolutely immediately because I said, well, it, it was really targeted on a campaign that was targeting social engineering not to do social engineering from the yeah. same people that were doing social engineering it's like come on man <laughs> that's enticing rather than <laughs> yeah I, i've done that before all my most successful phishing campaigns are usually security related right they're like click our security awareness training video on how not to get social engineered boom right amount of people that you're gonna get someone that clicks it right we've we've seen an uptick in phishing emails recently here's some training to help you with uh, that Boom, I'm in, right? And it's like, literally, they get, of course, someone's going to click on that, right? Um, and, and so you've got to work on the scenario that has the highest likelihood. But the, the, the thing you should be measuring is that if someone does click on it, do they quickly report it? Do they realize this mistake? If they don't realize the mistake, the, not mistake, but they realize the attack. Something is wrong. Something's wrong. Then there's a trading issue there, right? So next time they can recognize it and then they can report it if they do make that same mistake again. It's not about anyone will click a link at some point or open a document. You can't, you can't prevent that. That's why you have controls, right? Controls mm -hmm. are there to detect these things, or you've got layers of controls in place that will stop someone. If they prevent get on the network, it, you'll see them get on the network and prevent it. Right? Obviously you want to make sure you have those controls in place. And it's about that blended approach, good training, good mechanisms for reporting and, and, and making it encouraging. So people can report it. Yes. If someone is clicking on things every single week, and you're doing it there's a, there's clearly an issue there right and you're moving into a different direction right um but if people are slowly improving and they're realizing they're recognizing the signs you know that's good I, i've heard of companies that are doing phishing campaigns where if you click on a number of uh, phishing links you're you're in disciplinary mechanism so people then become terrified and don't report these things right if a genuine attack happens because um they'll be scared they'll lose their job right that, that to me sends out the wrong message yes you want you want to yes you want to have those mechanisms for having a chat with somebody saying look this is this is the real risk of doing it but also at the same time you want to make sure that people aren't afraid to report these things because of fear it's a it's a fine balance right it creates a security it creates a security issue when something happens as you said it it doesn't it doesn't get reported and it creates a loophole or potential weakness rather than an enforcement yeah. mechanism yeah absolutely yeah it has, it has the opposite effect you want to you want to you want to kind of create that that culture where people can do it Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on premise and on the cloud. 
Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. So how important is the physical versus the, the digital one in, in, in a campaign normally? Okay, if you want to be more, okay, so more cyber attacks will happen. My honest opinion is that physical security is, is important and you should test it, right? Because there's mm -hmm. not just a risk of a cyber attack. There's a risk of terrorism. There's a risk of uh, physical asset loss. Somebody walking in. Yeah, yeah, somebody walking in, right? And I've, I've tested, you know, the whole angle of if I can get into a building, someone does a bag check. And then if I walk in the building, out the building the same enough times to order I'm already in, and they don't check my bag after a number of attempts, that gives me an opportunity to go out, put something in my bag, and then say, look, this is me before, this is me putting something into the bag, this is me getting in with something in the bag. This could be an explosive device. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It could be something really bad. So, yeah, there is a, an important angle to the physical side, not just putting something on the network or walking off with some data or planting some malware on the network or whatever it may be. There is an importance around doing that, and it's, it is still important. But the more effective attacks where you can, you know, can really do some damage to an organization, it's always going to be phishing. It's always going to mm -hmm. be telephone social engineering is really, uh, in my opinion, although I still get people to give me passwords over the phone now and again. It's getting better. Yeah, I had one maybe... Oh, I don't know. I got really far and I did a whole day where I pretended to be a support. I worked out who their support company was and I pretended to be a support guy for their company. It was like a third party and even managed to get a similar domain. So I was able to email them and stuff like this and I got loads of stuff, right? Um, and, you know, I got, I created a support number. So I said, look, you've got a dedicated support number today because this work's going on. So I set up the pretext that something's going to happen later. Mm -hmm. And I got support calls and I was able to remote desktop and all that kind of great stuff, right? Brilliant, right? And I pushed it quite far and I thought I'm going to call up the head of the department and I'm going to get them to say, look, we're doing this project. This is like a call center type thing. We're doing this project and these systems, you know, payroll systems may be going offline. So what I need is a number of, uh, I might need some, some usernames and passwords to test out whether it's working or not. Can you just give me one of your team's number? Yeah. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I need to check that. So that's fine. But you know, this is urgent. It's late in the day. Um, so it's at six o'clock, right? So it's late in the day we're running this work now i just need something now and he went look i I'd, I'd usually give it to you but we've just been through gdpr training and it's sensitive hey. data and i can't give it to you i was like oh, okay that's fine and i was happy with that right yeah i, I could have pushed it harder but i thought no that's good you've you've yeah you've stopped yeah i just said well look, if something happens you think twice about something yeah. it's like confidential data and and the sense of urgency so what are the techniques that usually social engineer use so embedding personal i mean i was discussing this with Sharka when we did uh, the event back in the day so is 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 making people feel uncomfortable the sense of urgency but can you give the more unique and and niche element that social engineer use or the one that should trigger an alarm in you, for example. Uh, yeah, uh, urgency is, is always a, um, a tool, right? Um, so there's like three areas that I look at, right? So one is like the empathy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're helping me fix a big problem here and getting them to kind of feel bad for me that's a big problem and they're helping. And there's a bit of building a bit of empathy, getting them to build a bit of empathy with me or, or me knowing that they've got a problem, I'm trying to help them and they get a bit of empathy, right? Whatever it may be, right? That's a good angle. The likability factor I find is quite nice. If you're quite mm -hmm. friendly and jovial and jokey, disarms people straight away completely, right? They don't see the threat because they're laughing and they're, and as soon as someone laughs, they're disarmed, right? 
they don't think about danger because they think, oh, this guy's funny, he's friendly. What's the worst that could happen? A lot, actually, <laughs> is the honest answer. Uh, so is somebody friendly, just untrusted? <laughs> yeah, yes, completely. There's an ulterior motive. No one's generally friendly on the phone unless they want something, <laughs> right? So, you know, you, you've got to be wary of that. The, the authority card works, but, you know, everyone going for direct authority is quite difficult. I prefer like what we call delegated authority. Mm-hmm. And that's where I've been given authority to do something. And in a bigger company, people generally trust that. So I've been given authority by this person to do this, right? And, you know, by that, by that method, I'm now need, they need this from you because of dead, this deadline or whatever it may be. People generally trust that, right? Because big companies, they don't, they're not, never going to speak to this person up here anyway, right? So why would they ever, why would they ever question that? So, you know, if you can get into a position where you've established enough validity and credibility in the reason you're calling or the reason you're there, generally people are more likely to help. Yeah, the lower trust. down you go. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, they, they're like, okay, fine. What can I do? Because they don't want to lose their jobs over it or something like yeah. that. So yeah, it's, there is that effect. I think that works less today because everyone's remote, right? And so they're mm-hmm. more likely to speak to those people because they might jump on a Teams call with them or something like that. They might be more visible than they maybe were in like an office environment. So yeah, I think this um, working from home has raised everyone's awareness around these threats. So I think there is a, a harder barrier to get some of these attacks happening. But mm. if you send a well-crafted phishing email today and it's really well-crafted, it will still work. On, on that subject, have you seen an uptake in a number of phishing, phishing and uh, social engineering attempts and whatever you guys are doing or, or the requests are getting higher because the hiring men, well, the, the organization are getting more scared about these things with everybody working from home? What, yeah. What's your view? Yeah, there's 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 been an uptake. So I'm I'm seeing a lot more, a lot more social engineering uh, requests, helps validation. A lot more uptake in testing through like VPNs as well. So like doing network testing through VPNs, internal mm-hmm. tests through VPNs, because that's an that's an attack vector people are worried about. Is that if someone gets compromises a, a machine that's got valid access to VPN, can someone actually do something even if they don't have valid network credentials? Mm-hmm. Can they still get in through that attack vector? And the answer to the question is yes. How about the marketing side that, uh, that that has a direct access to the backend? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It, there would be a way to get in. It's on how you pivot. So the social engineering angle is still valid that we test, you know, okay, can I get someone to click on a link? Can I get someone to open this document? And, and you know, and, and a lot early on, it was all about, uh, and I, we, we stayed away from anything to do with COVID because I'm, I'm from an ethical point of view, even though the attackers are using this, I, I just don't feel comfortable with that at all. So we stuck to that stress. Yeah, the people are already stressed, right? So you don't want to stress them out anymore. And and so people I've had actually had people come up to me and say, Hey, can you do like a, a COVID like fishing camp? No. <laughs> it's just like no, no. Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> like, it's not, we're not gonna discuss it. It's just like, no, no, we're gonna do this. If you want to do this, we can do it this way. You'll still get the same level of, you know, risk management in terms of understanding your, your exposure and threat. But yeah, it's it's people find out they've been fished under this and it's, they've had a something happened to one of their friends or family it's just a bit too sensitive so i think there's a, there's an ethical thing whereas the, the downside is that attackers don't have a moral compass because yeah. they wouldn't be doing what they did if they, if they actually the opposite they they yeah. they, <laughs> they exploit the moral compass exactly so you know that we have seen i've seen a massive uptake in those type of attacks like COVID at related. the beginning yeah at the beginning not so much now uh, in fact i've even seen uh, quite a few attacks uh, related to the black lives matter movement as well so oh yeah right 
So uh, actually what, less though. Actually less. I, I heard less about that instead of the, the traditional NHS message and other stuff. Yeah. So so I've seen quite a few of those happen at the moment because it's such a topical thing. You know what attackers like to do and what social engineers very much like to do is they like to hide in that middle ground, right? And if there's a big event happening, regardless of the bad event or whether it's a good event, or they'll always be phishing emails or social engineering or misinformation about all of those things to drive traffic to whatever propaganda someone's pushing out or to get people's credentials or fish them or whatever it may be so you're always going to see an uptick in that and and so this whole movement at the moment has really kind of sadly is is now we're starting to see attackers jump on that as well because it is so global so it'll be a video it'll be this if you've seen this video about x and then it will go to you know a phishing link that will go to a video site that's embedded with some kind of malware or something or exploit or something like that so you know i, I think we're whatever you know people have to be on guard and the, the advice is always verify verify and if you haven't verified verify again before doing anything with it and the best way to do that is if like okay someone's sending you a link to log into something well just go to your own like if it's a google account or something like that well just go to your google account and check if there's been unusual logins to your your your, your account and if that has then that's valid right yeah and, and i think that's absolutely valid because it, it creates that if your bank is calling you there's something wrong just call them back and, and stuff like that that's traditional method that could be applicable but again on the back of the sense of urgency and in this particular situation where we are don't you think that uh, that level of uh, mistrust, healthy mistrust is decreasing, especially um, in IT, in, in other areas where they've been less busy, maybe so, but in IT specifically where everybody is a little bit jumpy, haven't you seen the urgency working a little bit better or the urgency actually is, is a way to exploit people? Yeah, urgency has always been a way to exploit people. Um, yeah, uh, and we, we see it quite a lot, um, but uh, I think given the circumstances we find ourselves in now i think people are more likely to be i think the mistrust angle if you think about that there's always going to be a degree of mistrust but people are much more open to things at the moment because they're mm -hmm. busy and it's the one thing that slips through the net so you're the stress of like work if you're furloughed or something like that at the moment you're more likely to click on something because you're not you're not in work mode you're you're like you know you're just oh i'm just looking at my emails and that that in itself will will drive, you know, drive someone making human error or mistake. But yeah, I, I think that's, that's always going to be that angle. There's always going to be something there. And, mm. you know, I, I think you can't, it's heightened at the moment because of all the external influences people are, are going through stress or whatever it may be, you know, uncertainty breeds, you know, people thinking in different ways. Um, stress also does the same as well. And so you, you don't you don't tackle your risk management, kind of personal risk management is slightly altered because you're thinking about something else that probably is immediately more important. And so you might disregard that threat because you've got other other things in your mind. So, yeah, so urgency, if someone if it's like someone like your line manager, your someone's impersonating your line manager asking you to do something, you're probably going to be more likely to do it now because you might be fearing for your job or something like that. So, yeah, you can influence that. I just personally wouldn't, but attackers would. Yeah, and I don't have a moral comfort. But um, just just to wrap up the whole discussion, if you can, if you, if you can, if somebody want to start in this in this field, where normally do you see them coming from, or do you see a specific line of knowledge that is particularly beneficial in social engineering, and then what kind of resource they they can they can get on? 
to learn. It's really hard. I get asked this a lot, and it's a really hard one because I've had this unusual kind of. I fell into this kind of path, and I've seen other. I've spoke to other social engineers about how they do it, and most of them fall into it as well. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit of an. It's, it, usually, you see social engineering forming part of the red team. And you usually see a lot of ex-military people and stuff like that do the physical pen Intelligence. Yeah, intelligence and all that kind of stuff, right? Whereas the you know, the traditional route is that, you know, I, I always say, if you want to do this, um, look at all the video resources, all the conference talks, um, look at how people like Jason Street or Jenny Radcliffe or people like that have done it. Because mm -hmm. they, again, have done it as a side project. So it's been part of, well, Jenny's always done it right it's yeah. pretty much they dot but sort of like Jason Ricky Clown and yeah yeah, 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 exactly. yeah they they've always done it right and mm -hmm. I've always kind of done it as well but but then for newer people coming in look listen to people like Jason Street who kind of did it as a side project and actually then it deterred became big part of, of his of his sort of main field so if you're interested in pen testing you can get into the social engineering aspect quite easily if you want to do if you're like in a, in a blue team but you want to test this out you can still do fiscal security assessments as part of that and then actually then see, okay, well, I want to test if someone can access our data center. So I'm just going to turn up and see what happens and see if I can get in and see if I can test those controls. And that way, with obviously permission of your employer, because obviously they might be like, why are you trying to get into the data center? Right? Um, yeah, <laughs> why are you uh, sneaking around? <laughs> what are you trying to do? Are you leaving the company? Is there something I need to know? Right. Um, yeah, but all that kind of stuff, I think there's many ways. And I, I might see if I can, I, I've been trying this for a while, but I might see if I can write a blog post on it as well. Yeah, that would be great. A guide and how to get into this because... I, it's a hard question to answer and I get asked it a lot. There's so many different ways of getting into this industry. I, I personally think if you want to start, start doing open source intelligence first and, and look at what people are posting online and look at um, the, the type of information that's out there and then how an attacker might use that. And then maybe start looking at phishing campaigns and how your organization puts together phishing campaigns and start that way and then start getting involved in those things and, and start trying to be a bit sneaky with your phishing campaigns and see how effective that is. And then move into like, okay, well, then we're going to test our call center. So maybe we'll call our call center and mm -hmm. try and see, pretend to be a customer and see if we can get into our account without you know authentication or you know all that kind of stuff. Or get so, information. Or get information. Yeah, get information, information on someone else. Yeah, exactly. And And... Uh, I think they're the ways you can start to do it. And then once you start going down that path, it's very hard to kind of move away from it. You start finding those opportunities and, and start finding those those doors that are open that really can't be closed anymore. So it's it's exciting and addictive. <sighs> they create that generate that adrenaline, I think. It's an it's an adrenaline adrenaline rush, yeah. Um there's no greater feeling the worst feeling than before getting into a building. Like, am I gonna get in? And there's the nerves and then the adrenaline rush when you get in and the nerves. Uh, yeah it's crazy and then after that you've got to calm yourself down because you're like oh my god i look like really kind of like on edge because your <laughs> adrenaline's rushing through your body like you're deer in the headlights and you're like okay i need to go and find a toilet cubicle and calm down for five minutes and then carry on so yeah it's, it's addictive and, and i don't do it every every week because the physical stuff that i haven't done for ages because i can't right but you know your face when, is everywhere <laughs> it's so hard now i i know you i've had that actually in one assignment they said have you met before no and then realized they worked in security and they probably have met me at a conference or, or seen me somewhere. So it gets harder, but um, it's okay. You know, I, I'm training up a lot of people on how to do this as well at the moment. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things which eventually I'm going to have to stop doing because um, it's, it's becoming harder and harder. Um, and also because everybody's wearing your face. <laughs> yeah, that's great. If, yeah. And then people will start like breaking into buildings with face masks and me on or something like that. And they'll be like, okay, then yeah, you know, get a knock on the front door or something. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, unfortunately, I, I do, I do, I do have a half stop 
sadly. But I've really enjoyed this. We should do it again. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. And, and I'll definitely pick your brain again. And uh, you'll be the, the, the consistent host, you, Joe, of the social engineering stream. We, we, should, we should get me and Joe together because I've got um, some things that I, I, me and Joe have this, uh, this banter. Did he mention this? I know. Yes, he did. He did. He also said that he's always going to have your back. So I was like, heart. <laughs> it was uh, the bromance moment. I, do, I, I, I love Joe. I, I'll say a sort of podcast in case you're listening. I do love you, Joe Gray. You're amazing. But yeah, uh, he, he won't have to worry about us the next time we do a CTF competition at Trace Lab. So, you know. I, I, I'm absolutely going to organise one to actually uh, announce the, the truths and, and the bromance, the official bromance on the uh, podcast. No, it's good. Um, he, he came into, uh, so I, the story behind it from my side, as I, Joe was talking about in, in the team chat on Trace Labs, and I just, he said, oh, you know, we're going to come here. And I just, uh, I just put a little mean post together <laughs> it's like, and that was it and then apparently he didn't like that too much and i was a bit sorry but it was all a good spirit so it was all a good competition spirits but yeah apparently it's, it's good banter it's good banter. It, i had to do some banter fun. it's friendly it's all friendly banter we like we love each other yeah an american ticket a little bit more seriously than than british british are used to banter yeah yeah exactly i think I, th- I think i threw him off his game a little bit that day possibly <laughs> i didn't mean to it was just quite a funny joke um but yeah and it, he started it anyway so it's all right <laughs> anyway just uh, a very last one before i let you go can you give a five second positive message about cyber or about social engineering or anything that you want in the industry um yeah okay so my positive message is we're, we're all in this together you know we shouldn't there shouldn't be you know we've got lots of good things to talk about um collaboration is, is really important and you know I, I think most importantly that there is a huge amount of resources out there untapped resources that people don't know about and so you know if you can start if you if you're struggling on one subject there's so much out there today more than ever that you can if you want to learn a subject it's out there go find it obviously you know OSINT's a really good skill, so go learn that because then you can find all that data if you're struggling. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much. And we're going to have you and Joe back on the same day on the podcast. So yes, thank you so much and have a great one. Thanks, Francesco. Thank you. Sadio Gordash, but thank you very much. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. No problem. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Cloud